Hello there, crypto fans, and welcome back to the New Blocks, episode number nine. Today, we are talking consensus. Kevin, welcome back again. Excited. Can't believe we've got eight of these done already, and there's still some people with us diving further down the rabbit hole. I can't stop seeing that meme of Alice falling down the hole. Yeah, it's. I'm surprised that, you know... People are digging this content. I saw something like 300 views on the first episode. That's 300 more than I would have gotten just uploading videos by myself. So appreciate you bringing some audience here. Um, Yeah, it's these have been flying by. Absolutely. Getting to episode number nine. Yeah, and it's it's still exciting times in the blockchain world. You know, it's kind of ebbed and flowed over times. We've had these way crazy ICO times in the past, and then these drawbacks where it's very sad. You know, I've got a Litecoin miner that I've run at various times. I've been a subscriber to Slash R LTC mining, and I I'll tell you, bud, it's either real happy or real sad. It's kind of like the craps <laughs> table, and uh, it's it's fun to be part of the roller coaster. I have to admit, I just plugged the old L three back in. I'm probably Profitable by thirty cents a day, roughly speaking. So now, uh, now you're really rolling in it. You know, yeah, there was a having not that long ago, so I'm on track to get point zero zero one of a Litecoin uh, in a couple of days. Should be pretty exciting. Keep, keep pretty me cool. posted when that happens. That's gonna be big bucks, buddy. Yeah, super duper. <laughs> yeah, uh, to the moon we go. But uh, what are we talking about today? Consensus. Uh, what are we diving into? Yeah, we've talked about a lot of this at sort of high levels. Uh, episode, I believe it was three, we talked about blockchain and consensus it goes hand in hand. And so we're going to dig a little into the the actual hardware that's running the the blockchain and, and what it means to uh, to derive consensus from the network. So the first term that we've probably mentioned before uh, is this concept called a node. Uh, and... A node is essentially an instance of uh, of some hardware that runs a version of the blockchain. So mm-hmm. uh, we've mentioned in the past that uh, anytime that anyone wants to derive some sort of value from whether it's Bitcoin or Ethereum or any of these other blockchains, uh, they may at some point be incentivized to run a node. So if you have a business that relies on receiving Bitcoin or Ethereum, or maybe uh, you just you know ha- hold a decent amount of a given currency, you are monetarily incentivized to help support the security of the network. And that's, that's really what a node does. It hmm. runs a copy of the blockchain. It continues to synchronize with the rest of the network, and it validates all of the incoming data uh, that I that see. is being entered into that blockchain through new transactions. So it, it's sort of like uh, I'm seeing this onion in my head with multiple layers of decentralization here. Not only is the blockchain itself decentralized in nature with these miners and all these different actors, but the nodes all act sort of like Wi-Fi repeaters, right? They all talk to each other and they all strengthen the signal of the network. So if one of them goes down, it, it gets rid of this problem where if there's like a fire in a data center, somewhere um it doesn't really matter because you have all these other copies of the blockchain across all these other computers that are all talking to each other at the same time yeah exactly and every time we spin up a new node network it the network becomes that much stronger and that much more decentralized right um it goes back to this idea of uh, you look at something like Binance, uh, their smart chain that's uh, it's run entirely by the Binance company and so they could run a 
one miner or sorry, one node, a thousand nodes, a hundred thousand nodes, but it won't so much matter if they're all controlled by one company or, or one group. Um, and so, you know, breaking the, breaking the network, uh, as, and spreading it out as much as possible mm -hmm. spreading out the surface area, uh, that, that kind of helps to decentralize it and, and helps to make that a little more trustworthy. Gotcha. So TLDR, a node is just a copy of the blockchain that exists somewhere on the internet. That that's it. Yeah. Anybody can can run a node. Really, that doesn't take any special hardware or computing power. It just takes, a, I guess, at this point, a, a good bit of memory. Yep. Yep. A little exactly. bit of hard drive space. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, the the node's job is to run what is known as a consensus consensus algorithm. Uh, and that uh, a consensus mechanism is just a series of steps that the node can take to establish consensus with the network. Um, and so we go back to prior to blockchains, uh, the way that you would establish any sort of consensus uh, in, in a group of people is that you would have this sort of authority figure. So you think of something like uh, Facebook, uh, the, the 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 current state of the Facebook website and platform is is dictated by this company called Facebook, um, and there's no no real need for um, you or I to sort of disagree what is on Facebook because we can both <laughs> just go look at it and there is this authority figure that sits in the middle and says, okay, this is allowed on Facebook, this is not allowed, doesn't matter really what anyone else says. Right. Um, Whereas in blockchain world, we use this series of steps to help establish what that current state of the network is uh, without any sort of a, a central intermediary that, that helps us to achieve that. I see. So by nature of the blockchain being decentralized and having so many individual actors, we're constantly paranoid. We constantly have to check ourselves and make sure that everything's working according to plan. So this uh, consensus mechanism is basically the, the thing that holds, holds all of it together. That, it's sort of like that uh, social glue, I guess, in the blockchain world. Yeah, and if if uh, any of our viewers have ever downloaded anything with uTorrent, you could think of uh, uTorrent. The software is in charge of of communicating with the network and finding seeds for a given file, and sort of um, being able to uh, send the data from your machine to others. So the consensus mechanism similarly is in charge of facilitating the information around the network mm -hmm. so that we can achieve a level of agreement uh, toward what the next block is and, okay. and therefore what the information on the network is. Yeah, that makes sense. And a quick recap, I guess, for anybody who doesn't know what uTorrent is or BitTorrent, it's this idea of file sharing where instead of like that, the old example was Napster, where Kevin has a file on his computer, I connect to his computer, I download that file in its entirety to my computer. That's like peer-to-peer -peer file sharing. BitTorrenting is where there might be a hundred different seeds just like Kevin out there that have that same file, and I'm getting little bits from each person that come together to make that file for me. Um, but who? Uh, how do you organize those little bits coming from all those different places? That's the mechanism we're talking about. Yep. And there have been a lot of, mm, uh, I wouldn't say a lot, but there have been a few different consensus mechanisms that have uh, been experimented with since the creation of the blockchain. So uh, 
uh, Satoshi Nakamoto releases Bitcoin and releases the first consensus mechanism, which is called proof of work. Uh, and so this is the idea of miners. They run hardware that runs, uh, burns electricity and uses that electricity. You could think of it as sort of a trust collateral, where if a miner tries to include invalid transactions in the blockchain, they will have they will be uh, essentially prevented from doing so uh, by the rest of the network and they would lose their the electricity that they've burned in the process. Mm. So with proof of work mining, electricity is the trust collateral. And uh, when a miner attempts to lie or cheat the network, they lose that electricity, they lose that value. And so that is the thing that keeps them uh, motivated to be trustworthy. And that sort of establishes trust on a proof of uh, work network. Right. And that makes sense. And really, I mean, it is truly like using computing power for the sake of using computing power. It's solving these random cryptographic puzzles um, with the intention of, of a fixed difficulty so that you have to spend money to solve the algorithm. It, it's not something that... Um, it, it's intentionally obtuse, I guess, right? It's designed yeah. to be a barrier to entry so that people can't just... There has to be something that you're trading or else you're just minting Bitcoins for yourself and it's you know super easy and fun. That's... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And, and some examples of this. Uh, so Bitcoin was obviously first, but then, you know, Litecoin, Dogecoin, a lot of the Bitcoin forks um, that came after Bitcoin and a lot of the early blockchain projects, they all, you know, they copied off of what existed because there wasn't yeah. else. There wasn't much else. Right. Um, so a lot of these early currencies are proof of work chains that all have their own blockchain and they have their own set of their own network and their own set of miners that are specifically mining for that particular currency. Mm -hmm. uh, Ethereum is another instance of it, though it is moving away uh, from proof of work uh, into our next uh, our next consensus mechanism, which is called proof of stake. Yeah, I think this is something we teased in uh, episode two, maybe episode three, something like that. This big change to proof of stake, and now we get to finally explain what it is. And th this is one that's coming up maybe sooner rather than later, right? Ethereum has always planned to switch from proof of work to proof of stake, but the timeline rather unknown. And now it's starting to come into focus that this this might be an actual priority in uh, like a, a year, maybe two years kind of time. Yeah, I saw a poll today from some of the top uh, Ethereum researchers that are all leading toward getting proof of stake fully merged in within 2021, uh, which is super exciting. Uh, and the 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 move from proof of work to proof of stake has has been very much in the case of Ethereum long awaited. It is not the first proof of stake chain. Um, there's a few others we'll get into, but first. At a high level, proof of stake is a departure from the idea of burning electricity and using electricity as the trust collateral. So instead, uh, proof of stake works by, uh, instead of miners, you have what are called validators uh, that, that uh, stake tokens in that currency. Uh, so in the case of Ethereum, they, uh, validators require 32 Ether to become a staker, uh, they lock their 32 Ether in a smart contract that allows the, the network to sort of hang on to it uh, mm -hmm. and makes it so that they can't uh, access it and try to take it away uh, until they've done the work of 
validating the network in the same way that the proof of work chains do. So that they still run hardware uh, nodes that do the work of checking every transaction, seeing that they're valid. And again, if they try to lose or cheat the network, instead of losing the electricity that was burned, they lose the ETH that they have staked. Um, and oh. there, there are different mechanisms for punishing different uh, actions uh, accordingly. So if, if someone is deliberately trying to include invalid transactions, mm -hmm. uh, they can lose their, their full stake pretty quickly. Um, if they, you know, uh, propagate some information from some other node that that included some bad transactions, then the punishment gets less and less. But the idea here is that we're, we're moving away from this needless burning of electricity uh, toward using the token okay. itself as the trust collateral. So, so the reason, yeah, go ahead. Well, so collateral is like the key word we keep using that I think like, if you had to summarize this whole discussion into one thing, it's what is the collateral to verify the network, right? That That's the kind of thing we're talking about here. And shifting it from current, it's such a meta concept. So, so many people have the currency now, right? There's so much ETH out there that these these people with, I mean, 32 ETH is a lot. They're worth like 2,000 a piece right now, right? So that's a substantial amount of money. Um, you know, we're talking about like $50,000. You put up $50,000 and say, hey, instead of, paying for the electricity, I'll put my money in escrow right now because I know that I'm a good actor. And as long as I continue to be a good actor and verify everything the way it should be, I get my money and then some, right? I get those precious mine, like yeah. mining fees that used to be your reward. It's, I guess, some sort of like a staking reward or whatever. So it's yeah, it's sort of like a, almost a form of interest if you're somebody that has enough ETH that you're comfortable putting it on the line. Um, huh. That's yeah, pretty cool. And in, in both of these cases, um, networks have evolved on top of the uh, constraints that exist at the blockchain layer. So in the case of Bitcoin and other proof of work chains, uh, at the social layer, people have created what are called mining pools, where uh, instead of every person for themselves trying to uh, run their solo hardware and get their small piece of uh, of reward fees once every X number of months, they pull their hardware and hashing power um, and divvy up the rewards accordingly. So mm -hmm. you might join a, 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 a proof of work mining pool that uh, you are maybe one of a hundred miners. And um, every time any of them happens to mine the next uh, block in the blockchain, then th those rewards get divvied up proportional to the amount of, of uh, mm. hashing power that you've contributed. Similarly, in proof of stake, uh, people have created what are called staking pools. Um, and there are a few different ones right now for Ethereum. Um, the uh, Rocket Pool is one that's coming out that'll be a bit more decentralized than what exists now. I know Coinbase is planning to offer staking um, through Ethereum. There's a few others that exist now. So all of that is to say, uh, you don't necessarily need the full whatever 32 ETH is right now. Gotcha. Um, you could you could decide to stake just a, a small portion of that um, and be able to help uh, validate the network. Okay. Very um, cool. Yeah. And so the the next couple examples of mechanisms are sort of uh, mentioned here as kind of honorable mentions. Um, <laughs> 
one variation of proof of stake is called delegated proof of stake. And that just adds an additional layer on top of proof of stake where instead of every, uh, every individual staker staking uh, separately, it sort of like builds this concept of, of um, voting into, into the act of staking. So you could stake your currency toward an individual uh, delegate, mm-hmm. and then that delegate can sort of like be a pool of different staking amounts that equal out to whatever. Um, examples of this, Polkadot, Solana, Cardano, um, these are all sort of, uh, yeah, att- attempting to kind of build so- some of this like pool, me- uh, like staked pool, yeah. pooled stake mechanic into the the underlying consensus mechanism. Okay. Interesting. And these last couple, I, I have no idea what we got going on here. Proof of elapsed time. Kevin, tell me, tell me about this, please. This sounds yeah, awesome. So the future has about... arrived, man. <laughs> yeah, again, it's it's alternatives to uh, burning electricity or in the case of proof of stake, uh, like having to worry about the token value within the network. So proof of elapsed time is uh, another mechanism of... Uh, you know, building this this hashing function that allows uh, other nodes on the network to know that X amount of time has passed from the previous block. Um, and without going into a ton of technical detail, it's this uh, additional alternative that uh, exists for the purpose of trying to be green and trying to not involve burning electricity. Uh, and the, the next one, uh, so uh, proof of elapsed time, one example of that is the Chia network. Um, mm-hmm. And then final one for this list, uh, there's, there's sort of like endless small experiments for, for different consensus mechanisms, but um, proof of capacity or space or storage. Uh, all of these are just different ideas around mm. using hard drive space as the mechanism to sort of like prove <laughs> something to the network um, that can be, you know, used as the trust collateral. Okay, so um, you're staking hard drive space. So you could just buy a shitload of hard... Uh, that that seems regressive. That yeah, seems it's, like it's... just like proof of work mining, except... I I mean hard drives use power too, so it it's not as bad, but it's similarly obtuse. <laughs> yeah, it's just it, all of this is to say that there's a lot of experiments going on. Uh, a lot of different. So proof of products. stake is really what we have our eyes on, I guess, specifically as it relates to Ethereum. And I guess to be clear, it's like almost like a pre-lightning round question here. Bitcoin not planning on going to proof of stake, correct? Like the the That's correct. The plan for Bitcoin is proof of work all the way out. Yeah. Yeah. They're at at this point there's no one in the Bitcoin talking about changing that. Um and yeah, proof of stake seems to sort of uh have become emerged as kind of the 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 way that projects are moving uh, mm-hmm. between uh you know Ethereum and, and all the other smart contracts platforms at least. Gotcha. Very cool. Yeah, and wow. uh, like the the different trade offs that exist for these different proof uh, of X Y Z consensus mechanisms, um, they sort of dictate how and when uh, different blockchains decide to use them. So, I mean, first and foremost, when Bitcoin was created, there was no alternatives, and so it was like the first attempt at solving global money. Uh, Satoshi Nakamoto 
may not have known that uh, that their project would become so successful that it would start to burn a hole in the ozone. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's, you know, the trade-off number one is uh, the more successful proof of work becomes, the worse it is for uh, electrical consumption. And, um, you know, additional trade-offs around decentralization of that uh, mining costs become more and more prohibitive over time. Mm -hmm. um, just the centralization that comes with, um, you know, one or two companies producing all of the mining hardware that exists. Um, I mean, even within that, right? So mining Ethereum, that's something anybody with a graphics card can do, or at least that used to be the case. And back in 2018, during the ICO boom, you know, I have a lot of extra hardware laying around. I had a couple of the studio computers, a couple of those uh, uh, 10, 970s and the, the 1070s spinning up. Uh, and back then, it actually worked. Now, you need a certain memory buffer just to be able to hold the blockchain to be able to do mining. So there's there's a lot of hardware that you know you used to be able to do it with a relatively standard graphics card. Now you need a you need a pretty good expensive like you're a serious gamer kind of graphics card just to be able to consider getting into mining. And really now it's geared for people with these big rigs, these more kind of industrial uh, setups. But uh, yeah, yeah, it it very quickly floats towards the top, just even from a, a technological standpoint, even if that's not necessarily uh, by design, right? Yeah, yeah, and and the the one thing that uh, Bitcoin maximalists will often point to as what they see as sort of the pro over proof of stakes cons is uh, this idea of the value that is uh, taken in that is converted into trust comes from outside of the network. It comes from the cost mm. of electricity. And this cost exists in sort of the human meat space. And it uh, is something that you are, is is totally pegged separately from the value of the network. Right. And so they're saying that like, this is something that is stable um, and the, the value of the token may change over time. Um, and as opposed to proof of stake, it is relying on the value the network um, to be sort of the security mechanism. Like it, mm -hmm. if the price of the token were to drop, uh, the requirement for uh, staking would become higher to secure the same in to right. secure the, the so network that, in the same that way. That could create this sort of feedback loop in a bad way, the unraveling effect, sort of. If for yeah. some reason trust in the network is lost from some other sort of external factor or something. Yeah. And, and like, there's some other trade-offs that kind of go push back against that idea uh, or some other, uh, where like in the case of a, in proof of work with a 51% attack, um, when a network is attacked in that way, in, in the proof of work world, um, it's kind of hard for the network to sort of evolve from that. Um, where, you know, if someone has the, the power to attack some network, um, then they sort of, they have that. And mm -hmm. um, in proof of stake, uh, the person that is found to be attacking the network uh, gets slashed and gets their stake removed every time they attack. So even if it did suffer from the sort of like equivalent of, of a network takeover in proof of stake, 
the attacker would start to lose their ability to attack the network as they're attacking. So anyway, hmm. all this is to say that Very there's uh, a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of conversations going on in this new field of mathematics and economics uh, mm -hmm. toward coming up with the, the, the next great consensus mechanism. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, so is it time for some lightning round, bud? Is that, uh, yeah. is that where we're at? I think let's, let's, uh, let's jump straight into it. Right. So can you run a node without being a mistake? Yes. Uh, the short answer is absolutely. So as we mentioned before, a node is really just a copy of the blockchain. So uh, when I first started mining Litecoins, I set up a node so that I could see my mined coins syncing with the blockchain kind of in real time. It was fun to wake up every day and see, all right, another 0.1 Litecoin. Here we go, right to the moon. Um, but that was just a little MacBook Air that I needed four gigabytes or so to have a copy of the Litecoin uh, blockchain and that doubled as my Litecoin wallet. And uh, that is a node. I was running a little node that is a copy of the network that does help add to its integrity by some little tiny amount. Um, and that is separate from mining, right? The, the miner that I was running um, also serves as a node. If you think about the miner like working on the blockchain and having to interface with the network, pretty hard to work on the blockchain if you don't have a copy of the blockchain. So every miner also doubles as a node, but not every node node is necessarily a miner, right? A node is just something that any computer can run. Uh, mining requires some specific hardware that's, you know, kind of high powered for that kind of thing. So yeah. small difference there. Um, but what happens when consensus fails, right? Surely sometimes um, it doesn't all work out and the network still has to go on, right? What do they do? Yeah, and this is a throwback to episode three. We had we had this question in the lightning round, and I want to hit on it again. Because, uh, it it does look different for each consensus mechanism, and the the reason that it failed. So, mm -hmm. uh, in the case of uh, a disagreement in the network, consensus failure looks like a fork. Uh, now there's two versions of the blockchain. Um, in the case of a 51% attack on a proof of work network, uh, we, we just saw this last year with uh, Ethereum Classic. In one month, they were attacked three times and uh, the attacker was able to rearrange something like uh, 7,000 blocks or uh, like a few days worth of transactions that existed. And if that had happened on any network that anyone really cared about <laughs> or was really moving any amount of value, uh, that could be very problematic uh, yeah and the um the size of the network really does dictate what is capable of of happening um and what uh, a, uh an attack can sort of get away with because uh in the case of ethereum classic you can think of this as sort of like a ddos a, a distributed denial of service attack where uh yes theoretically uh you you could have a website and it could be uh, attacked and, and sort of like denied service by continually uh, a user hitting against it and and mm -hmm. trying to request it, um, but like that attacker has to pay for that uh, to happen. And similar to uh, DDoSs, like they if if a fifty one percent attack were to uh, attack a network like ETH Classic or even a larger one to attempt something like Ethereum um, would require huge amounts of capital. And so right. um, 
a lot of times in the past, what we've seen is that these 51% attacks sort of like happen for a short period of time. Maybe they, they rearrange a few blocks, um, but like it's, it really needs to be, there needs to be financial incentive for the attacker to do that sort of attack. Because if there's not, like you're going to be wasting a ton of hashing power, just hitting some chain until the value of it plummets. And then like, what have you necessarily gained? Um, Right. Yeah. Right. I, I think there's like in your head, you sort of think, oh, once you own 51% of the network, it's just over. But no, you need to maintain 51% of the network to really do meaningful damage over a long period of time. And that's what you're pointing out. To do that is so cost prohibitive that, yeah, sure, you might hate Ethereum Classic or think it'll boost some of your other investments, but it's a big upfront cost as a bad actor with no guaranteed return. Taking that coin to zero doesn't necessarily get you anything. It's more like a theory of assured mutual destruction, which has all sorts of weird game theory implications. So, Yeah. And also a chain can always fork and change its consensus. So True. at the end of the day, if, if you're a proof of work network and you're getting 51% attacked, you can always switch to proof of stake. Yeah. Um, and not have to deal with that. Um, gotcha. Cool. So, yeah. Next oh, question. Yeah. yeah. What happens if too many nodes go offline at the time? Uh, I'm imagining some sort of a an EMP or a, a nuclear weapon or or even just you know a country having their internet shut off. Yeah. So a hard question to answer because there isn't a magic number of like, if 20% of the nodes go offline, then the whole network goes into turbulence. It's more this sliding scale. The more nodes we have, the more decentralized they are over a, a wide breadth of locations and people and cultures, the better. Um, and it's a sliding scale the other way. The less we have, then the less integrity the network has. Um, it's sort of an interesting to think about thing to think about in terms of um, hardware for proof of work, at least being centralized um, around around eco-renewable energy. Iceland comes to mind, right? A lot of thermo-hydro uh, energy there, which is great, but if a volcano erupts or something and we lose some huge part of the mining power on a specific network, that could absolutely make it vulnerable to you know some sort of a 51 attack or something else. So um, I guess nodes going offline is maybe a little bit less scary. A huge portion of miners getting destroyed. You know, If something happened where all of China went dark, there's a huge amount of mining power there. That definitely does have some interesting implications if other actors wanted to collude, combine their mining power. Uh, things could get really crazy. So it, by nature of the network, the integrity is always increased by more decentralization. I think that's a truth that we'll pretty much always go back to with this kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so last question here. Um, do we need any more blockchains? What if I've got a really good idea for, you know, we've got Litecoin. What if I want to make the bronze to Litecoin silver, Kevin? Oh my God. You know, I bet somebody's probably Zyori tried to do that coin. already. You know, yeah. <laughs> Zyori Light, we'll call it, you know? Yep. Um, is that is that a good thing? Can I even do that at this point? Is that practical? I would say not really, at least not creating it as its own blockchain. So what we've seen over time is uh, early on projects would create their own blockchains and they would sort of have to compete with all of the other blockchains to uh, attract miners, to uh, attract people to run the software. And um, you can think of the that hardware and software that's running as sort of the 
the limited resource that exists um, that powers the security of a blockchain. So if there is only X number of miners on uh, any given day, um, like they are all competing to a degree to mine for the different blockchains that uh, accept their hardware. Mm-hmm. Um, and so early on, we saw these projects that were popping out their own blockchains and competing for smaller and smaller pieces of the of the limited security resource. Um, and so this uh, what we've seen since the creation of Ethereum and these larger uh, smart contracts platforms is this idea of um, having a more generalizable blockchain that exists as the security platform uh, and the security layer for other projects and currencies and tokens um, and software to run on top of it. Uh, mm-hmm. And instead of having every single one of those projects compete for this limited security resource, we could pool all of that that security resource to secure the entire network. So now if you compare something like Dogecoin or Litecoin to something like um, any uh, token that exists on Ethereum, Aave, um, Compound, we'll get more into DeFi tokens at some point, but um, if you compare the security of these two uh, styles of tokens, you have these small blockchain with these uh, small sets of miners uh, on the on the proof of work side um, that wouldn't be a, a huge barrier to entry to attack compared to mm-hmm. something like any currency that exists on Ethereum. You have to break all of Ethereum to break any of those individually. Oh. Uh, so we're, we're more so seeing this idea of trying to pull together the security resource to uh, run more generalized software. And then that way, every currency doesn't have to compete with every other currency uh, to, to exist. Right. So like by running some GPU miners that support Ethereum, I'm kind of by virtue supporting the network that supports every other coin that was created on top of Ethereum. Like any ERC20 token, you're you're helping all of them. They're all kind of working in tandem. That's that's kind of cool. That's like that's almost a, a twist now where a little bit of centralization is turning into a good thing. Look at you, Kevin. Yeah. Look at you coming back towards the Look middle, bud. Whoa. Yeah, Whoa. I mean, think of it this way. Let's let's <laughs> Whoa. before we uh, start mincing words here. Uh, you know, centralization isn't always bad. It's it's all about the axis that we're talking about. Uh, mm-hmm. Like when you're talking about f- like fragmenting security uh, versus centralizing it. Like, yeah, all day. Let's let's pull together all of the security resource, whether it's miners or stakers or you know just generalized blockchain let's centralize that because that is the yeah. the layer at which it's actually benefiting the entire network if we it's if like we centralize going there. back to that onion if the inside found the core of the onion you know the foundation is decentralized in nature i.e the miners or the stakers then we don't need to keep building decentralized layers on top of that because well now we're just we're it's inefficient right we can trust the decentralization on a basic layer and then build some things on top of that that are a little more trustworthy and maybe a, a little more recognizable from like a conventional sense damn dude yeah. that's that's awesome that's some heavy shit yeah. right there i like it some, some cool beans to leave it on i think Whew. 
Uh, that's a thinker. Man, my brain's going to be spinning when I make dinner tonight. All right, buddy. Well, <laughs> Kevin, man, thanks a lot. I always appreciate you breaking down these heavy topics for me, helping dummies like me understand this stuff. I certainly appreciate it. I know there's a couple of people out there that appreciate it as well. Um, but I think until next time, you want to tease what we have coming up next? Do we know what we have coming up next? I I take this one step at a one time. One step at yeah, a time. I, I think. Right. It, before we hit that record button, we uh, we think about it. But yeah, so, something will something will be good. All right, that's <laughs> coming great. Coming up next, uh, yeah, that's we'll all I'll say. See, we'll see y'all next <laughs> week. <laughs> Later.